What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Lisa, don't do crystal meth in the bathroom all night long. That's my opinion! He will never emotionally fulfill you. Because I don't want to be a part of it. Go to sleep! Go to sleep! Close your legs to married men, trash box. I'll tell you how I'm doing. Not well, bitch. Who gonna check me, boo? Welcome to Ringer Reality's Morally Corrupt, the Las Vegas version. Oh my gosh, I am joined with Jody Walker. We are sitting in our very nice hotel room. Yeah, and just on top of the world, staring at the strip. Jody just got here. She just got here from, from North Carolina. Can I say what I did when I got here? Please. <laughs> that I just flew directly into Las Vegas from the other side of the country and immediately had to go get a bra because I realized <laughs> while in the air that I just didn't pack any bras and I cannot wear a sports product BravoCon. I just can't do <laughs> we it. We can't. We can't see those bra lines. I, I can't. No, you I cannot can't. embarrass yourself. Back. Are you kidding? In front of Lisa Barlow and the likes of Doreen The cast of Below Deck is going to be there. <laughs> Yes, I was telling Devin that I, that is my biggest fear is for getting undergarments. So I typically just pack my whole underwear drawer mm-hmm. because I am afraid that I will forget some. I have three bras with me on this trip. Oh, I will wow. Only that wear... would have been nice to hear before I took an Uber <laughs> to the Victoria's <laughs> Secret in Planet Hollywood, Chelsea. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, but yes, we are so excited to be here for BravoCon part two. Um, this year we're in Las Vegas. Last year was New York, which I was a little sad to not be in New York this year. However, 
my trip changed drastically. My point of view of this trip changed drastically after I got on a flight with the one and only Garcelle from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And may I say, I was surprised because if you know anything about traveling in Los Angeles, the Burbank International Airport is not one that you see many celebrities in. So I was starstruck when I was sitting at this tiny little cafe that is not named anything. It's just a cafe in the Burbank airport. <laughs> Lowercase C cafe. Yes. And working on my little laptop. And here comes in a beautiful woman, black vest, matching black pants, sunglasses, auburn stone straight hair. And I say, that is Garcelle. I was shooketh that she was in the same airport ter- terminal as I was. I'm was not going to say so what airlines. Beautiful? Gorgeous. She didn't take her sunglasses off the entire time, which I thought was so glamorous. Yes. So (laughs) glamorous. Also, I was listening to you describe her all black auburn hair. I was like, oh, you could be describing me, except I know (laughs) that it's a very different sight. That is not how I was streaming through the Atlanta airport. (laughs) You know what, Jody? I also think you're glamorous. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Um, The Atlanta airport, southern hub of Bravo, where when I boarded my flight, who did I see sitting in first class? But man, this trip continues to be cursed for me. Austin (laughs) Kroll from Southern Charm. I I set my little eyes on him and I I like flinched. I like almost said something and then I was like, Jody, what are you doing? <laughs> you have been talking trash about this man for at least a year and a half on on the podcast airwaves. Um and you guys did ask do you get it? Do you understand why all these women are falling for him left and right? And I would like to state for the record, I'll never get it. I'll never get it. But he was tall and he was quaffed. He was definitely quaffed. <laughs> he looked like he smelled good. I hate saying that. I hate it. I mean, I was shooketh because not only did I see Garcelle and you saw Austin, but this morning, producer Devin also had Sheena Shea, Brock Davies, Summer Moon, and Lala Kent on her flight. So we like feel like hit the holy trinity of flights. It's today. crazy. I mean, BravoCon is an ecosystem. Oh, yes. It's like we were all coming on different flights from totally different places and we were all with Bravo liberties. It was fascinating. It, t- it definitely changed my perspective of this trip. Yeah. Um, it's made me a little bit more excited. Devin and I went to dinner this evening as well and we saw Sarah from Real Housewives of Dubai. Um, so it's just Bravo Lebs just walking around the strip. I feel like we should be out on the strip right now, but we're in our pajamas drinking champagne out of plastic glasses. Well, as long as they don't require a bra out there, I guess <laughs> I can go. Um, so you guys, we will be here all weekend covering BravoCon. Um, today's episode, we will be recapping some Bravo news as well as some of the shows. But tomorrow, we will be giving you a recap of day one at BravoCon, a recap of day two of BravoCon on Saturday for Saturday and some interviews that we'll be getting throughout the weekend. But let's get us to some news of the week because uh, a few things have been happening in the Bravo sphere. Uh, let's jump into something that happened that dropped today, Thursday, which was Shannon Bedore has avoided jail time in her DUI case in which she ran into a um, apartment um, drunk. She was three times the legal limit of alcohol consumption, but she will be serving only 36 months of informal probation. She has some fines and fees to pay off, plus 40 hours of community service and a nine-month alcohol program. So Homegirl got off with a slap on the wrist, I would say. Um, 
I don't know. It was kind of disheartening watching the last season or the last part of the Orange County reunion because there was some conversations about Shannon's drinking patterns that kind of just got skirted by. And then 10 days later, this event happened. So I'd be curious to see how she really bounces back from this. She kind of was holding this holier than thou stance over Gina. Um, another housewife of hers with her DUI and drinking. So we'll see. I know you don't watch OC, but what are your thoughts? Do you have any opinions of Shannon? Miss well, Shannon Bedore? I mean, I'm always interested in Shannon. I do <laughs> I do keep my eye on Shannon. She is always up to something and saying something crazy. Yeah, how can you not? It's definitely hard to hold on to a holier-than-thou stance after you've run your car into an apartment building. And then pretended as if you didn't do and it and then, walking your dog. Mm-hmm, and then just kind of, just kind of, you know, dull two-step over to the side. I, Bravo was just always teaching me how little I know about the law. Like, she didn't even go to her court date just her attorney went. Yeah, her attorney went. She didn't take a um a mugshot. We didn't get a Shannon Bedore classic housewife mugshot. How? That's what, I just don't understand how. So this attorney that she used is the same attorney she set Gina up with that like got her out of her DUI thing. And what she had told Gina was like, this is the best lawyer for well, this type of thing. I guess she was right. <laughs> and she was right. And she hired him. I think he knows like a lot of connections within the courthouse. Like, very cool. That is very, a very yeah. cool way to do the law. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He knows people. So, yeah, Shannon. Shannon's going to buy. She's going to buy quite easily. We will move on to Ramona Singer, uh-huh. who was supposed to be here this weekend in Las Vegas for BravoCon. But after this Vanity Fair expose came out and these accusations that I've heard before from Ebony Williams. She was on Carlos King's podcast discussing this. So this wasn't new to me. And I'm curious what your thoughts of the Vanity Fair article were, if you had any. But nothing really came to me from that article that was shocking or surprising or anything. But Ramona has been removed from BravoCon after she has partially said some racially charged language to a page six reporter. So some backstory, Ebony K. Williams, first black New York housewife. um, She shared her experience in the Vanity Fair article, said that she had heard things that Ramona had said that were racially charged, one of them being repeating the N-word. And um, this went up to HR. This is why people assume there wasn't a reunion that season because HR was investigating things. Ultimately, HR said that they can't prove that she had said the N-word. Then Ramona is texting a Page Six article after this Vanity Fair article comes out, or a Page Six reporter after this Vanity Fair article came out, and was saying to her that she did not say the quote-unquote N-word, spelling out N-word, but that she... Or she said N-word. She didn't say N-I-G dot dot dot. Which... Why, Ramona? Why? It's it's very confusing. Look it up on the interwebs to see exactly how she phrased it. But she was trying to say that she didn't actually say the word while halfway saying the word. Yeah, it's like, we get it. We all say that we say in word. You don't like, yes, we understand what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. The Vanity Fair article, I think like 
everyone's sort of immediate reaction was like, well, we know all this stuff. Like, we've heard all this stuff. I, I do think it's important to have it collected somewhere, you know? Like, yeah. expose is definitely the wrong word because it wasn't exposing much. Yeah. But I think what it is, what it was attempting to do is sort of, like, bring together these many things. And I, I mean, the Ramona thing is a pretty strong point in its favor of being worthwhile because we did know all this stuff. I thought Ramona was out. Like, I thought that we canceled old Roni because they were beyond repair. Dorinda was just screaming and throwing shit all the time. Yes. Ramona saying racist stuff. Like, I thought that was the reason. And then she started to sort of, like, matriculate back through the universe. And I would, I would love for her to be gone. Yes, I think we have seen all we've needed to see of Ramona at this point. And even I was surprised to to see them and the, to see them make the stance after they've already known how problematic she is. And as you said, they put her on Ultimate Girls Trip um, with the Kenya Moore and, and Melissa Gorga. Original Teresa, Ultimate the originals, Girls Trip. Ultimate Girls Trip. Then they put her on Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy. And so they they made a strong stance of like, we're standing by her. And I don't know if it's just this extra layer of backlash where it kind of feels it's the right decision to make. However, it should have been made two years ago, year and a half ago. It, it feels a little bit like a little too late type of a thing. Um, but yeah, I it's yes, we've we've seen the last of Ramona Singer, it seems on our Bravo in our Bravo world. Or as you guys said, is she going to pull a Jen Shaw and show up at BravoCon after being disinvited and will I end up in a conga line with her? No, <laughs> I will not. I'm telling you right here. We will stand firm and learn from our mistakes of last yeah, BravoCon. That's right. And not participate in any Jen Shaw buffoonery because we saw Jen Shaw and we were shooketh. And now, we, the Cupid Shuffle? I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to say no? Who am I? Yes. Um, and moving on to some lighter, happier news. We have some baby news in the Bravo world. Um, Dr. Nicole from Real Housewives of Miami and her fiancé, Anthony, are expecting a baby. So congrats to them. They just announced it on Instagram, I think, today. And as well as Jasmine and Silas from Summer House, Martha's Vineyard. They're also pregnant, um, which congratulations. I do think Silas is overseas right now, which is sad. Um, but they're bringing life into the world, which is great. So happy for them. Um, but yes, let's move on to some shows. Let's let's discuss. Let's you want to dive into Beverly Hills? I should. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it, Chelsea. We're here, Beverly Hills. They were also they're going you know, to Vegas too. They left us in Vegas in this episode. So yes, um, one of the things that we got this week in Beverly Hills are taglines, and one of the ones that stood out to producer Devin was Crystal's tagline of "They say wisdom comes with age, but I'm proving otherwise." What is your uh, interpretation of said tagline? Well, as you know, I'm a crystal apologist. Okay, yes. And my immediate thought when I heard it was, great line, babe. We all get it. We're totally on the same page that you are a young housewife. And so what you are saying is that you are wise despite being young. Yes. But what it sounds like is that she's saying she's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Not the best line. <laughs> that would not have made it through a round of edits at the ringer. <laughs> I will tell you that much. 
They say wisdom comes with age, but I'm proving otherwise because the thing is, yeah, like time just keeps moving on, you know, and like literally in this episode, it's her birthday. So she is proving that she's just getting dumber, (laughs) which honestly, that's fine with me. I want to get a little dumber. (laughs) We all need to get a little dumber (laughs) at this point of our lives. Um, Yes. So you interpret it. I, you know, you guys are both grammar queens, I guess. Devin, weren't you an English major? You're a history major. Okay. Yeah. I was a broadcast journalism major. I should (laughs) have known better than to think otherwise. But I thought the first interpretation that you said. Oh, like me? And now that you both have said it, I understand. <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> like, grammar was not my strong suit. But uh, I'm the ringer editors also otherwise. would have had to have gone through it with me as well. But, um, Yes, I, I would have approved it. I'm like, good job, honey. You're like, yeah, we're all getting so smart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're so smart. Go so queen. Young. Yeah. <laughs> Slay. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but this episode starts off with a cute little picnic in the park with Dorit and Erica. And after Erica's therapy session in which she was explained how to have empathy for others, Erica approached this situation with Dorit completely differently. She led with empathy, which... I thought she picked up very quickly. I mean, that was the funniest scene. Like, (laughs) watching her work her way through empathy. It really is like watching a child try to do something. Or like, I don't know, watching me try to do like a three-digit math equation right now. It's just like, I can do this. I know there's something in me that knows how to do this. And like, Dorit explains that she was upset that Erica didn't lead with an apology at the at the sharing circle. And and Erica goes, Oh, like, oh, is that's that's what upsets people. And then I gotta say, she still doesn't lead with no, an apology. No, she doesn't. She didn't. I I, I noted that I, as well. I didn't particularly feel like she actually, but she was using a tone that suggested empathy. Yes. And understanding. And I guess what Dorit appreciated most is that she just very straightforwardly was like. I want to fix this. You're important to me. And if you can't have empathy, at least you can have strong communication. Yes. Yes. I, it was a, it was sweet. It, it took her a while to get there. Like you had mentioned, she did not lead with empathy the second time around, but her tone did change. And tone is everything. Tone is everything. So it was nice to see them kind of coming around. And we did also learn that Dorit was feeling some type of way about the comment because of the state of her and PK's relationship. She says she would have felt that way nonetheless, but they were in a, a, a sensitive space because of her PTSD with the home invasion. But we also learned that Dorit got robbed again several months later um, while Christmas shopping, and she had taken out $10,000 worth of cash to go Christmas shopping, and men had followed her in a store and stolen her purse, unbeknownst to her. Now, as Devin properly pointed out, we do not want to victim shame or victim blame here, but I, my mom has properly ingrained to me, like, you never leave your purse in your cart when you're shopping around and you walk away from it. Never, ever, ever. And also she will like yell at me if I leave my purse in the passenger seat when I go out and get gas. Like I can't like leave my... She's like, someone's going to open your door and rob you. I'm like, okay. So like, it it seems a little weird that she took out $10,000 and just like walked away from her cart. I will leave my purse 
anywhere. <laughs> I'll leave it anywhere. And that is because it has zero dollars in yeah, it. You're lost, suckers. <laughs> yeah. You actually have debt now that you've picked up my purse. You're in trouble. Good luck. Have fun with I'd that. I'd love for you to steal my identity. See what happens. But like, also... Where is she buying her Christmas gifts? Is it like all farmer's markets? What does she need $10,000 in cash for? Another thing we were pondering, um, do they just not have like a high credit limit? Like PK's in a lot of debt. Like, could that be a thing? Like, I don't know. I, we were trying to rationalize this whole thing as well. And there isn't a lot of rational options. Later, when they... When she has on loan a $5 million necklace, <laughs> I was like, who is loaning these people anything? I wouldn't loan them my empty purse. <laughs> they are the couple from Annie. Like, he is Rooster. And I just, there's, it, it, I don't believe that Dorita's sketchy, but PK is so sketchy. And they're just, it's a house of cards. It's a purse of cards. And... It's an it's an interesting story to hear about the second robbing. Yeah, it was it was sad, and and she you know she said it triggered her again, and just PK has been going back and forth between LA and London working. What's he and, doing? And what is he doing? Don't know that either. What Jody. is he doing? We got a lot of questions. How many gigs does Boy George have over there? <laughs> don't know, but. We do know that there's stuff going on there. We also see that Sutton is working on her love. Um, and she has a matchmaker who's awfully giggly come to the house to help find her a man. Have we seen that matchmaker before? It's the first time I've seen her. She looked familiar. She seemed familiar to me. Like she's been out here. She probably makes her rounds. Patty Singer in around. Yeah, she probably does. Um, yeah, she had an interesting vibe about her. It was really something to hear. Sutton say that she never gets asked on a second date. Oh yeah, it was kind of sad. It was kind of tough. I have to say, I I take a I take a little pride in that. I always get asked on a second date. You and, go, girl. You know that is also a house of cards. Great first impression, <laughs> and then it's all just monstrous after that. No, I I I did feel bad for Miss Sutton. I would ask her out on a second date. Yeah, well, and she the seems thing interesting was enough. When she was talking about all the reasons she doesn't get asked on a second date, does is doesn't wear revealing clothing, and then they show her in her cat sweater. She <laughs> yeah. wore last season. They showed her with that guy that she actually did end up going on several dates yeah. with who was really cute. Yeah. I liked him. I don't trust Sutton's taste in men. Like, no. And I also don't trust that matchmaker's taste in men. I don't either. They didn't seem like they were vibing or understanding what the other person was, what they wanted. So I maybe we could be scouting someone for her here in Las Vegas. Oh, I think so. Maybe just, Uba's boyfriend has a friend in Connecticut. Yeah. And I don't even think she needs someone that's like wildly wealthy. No. She's got her own money. She is very wealthy. I think just as long as she doesn't get remarried, keep that spousal support going. Yeah, I don't think that's in her cards. Keep that going. Yeah, I would I would never get remarried. If I absolutely never. Up. I wouldn't even date. I would call <laughs> yeah. it quits. Yeah. I would be done. Hang it up. This is a fulfilling life. <laughs> Retired. Um, we also had Crystal having a lunch with Rob and her brother Jeff at Gracias Madre, which is a great vegan Mexican restaurant in West Hollywood highly recommend um we do learn that jeff was the or is the justin bieber of china and also crystal caused her brother to break up with his fiance that was interesting interesting little tidbit the pop singer stuff was old information 
I did yes. know that. Yes. Um, and I am very fascinated by her brother and would like more details than just the few pictures that they show us. But yeah, she blames herself for, I guess, asking him to come back um, to the States during COVID and that split up the relationship. But if that's going to split it up, then it was probably already yeah. done. I don't know. I mean, so Dustin kind of... <laughs> He kind of left me, but we're still in the States during COVID. Uh Uh-huh. And so... You guys are doing okay. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Get married in five months. (laughs) Um, He left to go to West Virginia to take care of his mom. And it was a little bit scary for me because I wasn't that scared of COVID when it started, but he was like... He ordered M95 masks in like January. Like, yeah. So... He freaked me out when he left. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to see him again. Like, this is the end of the world and we're all going to die. So I kind of understand the stress that one couple might be under when it's like a couple continents away. Yeah. Um, But to your point, like that shouldn't... Maybe she felt betrayed by him leaving. Maybe she felt like you left me and I can't get out of here. And like, now I'm alone and I'm isolated by myself. Like maybe she felt like abandoned. And you know what? We might learn more about that because the craziest thing about Jeff showing up in this episode is that he was in a testimonial. Yeah, that was weird. So like he's like Jeff's her partner. And, I, and you know, as a crystal apologist, <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes to make her more entertaining. And I guess the what the they're going for that. is Jeff. Yeah. yeah, he seems fascinating. He seems like interesting. Him. He's cute. Yeah, he's nice. Um, we also get some more, okay, Mauricio and Kyle foreshadowing. So, Doree, Kyle gets, um, recruited by PK to, to go on a phony lunch with Doree for their anniversary. And so, Doree's under the impression they're going to lunch and they're driving the car and Doree just asks, like, is everything going okay with you and Mauricio? Like, you seem distant. Things seem a little bit off. And here Kyle says, you know, that she needs a little bit more freedom. And like Kyle did kind of ask her like, well, why are you asking? And Dorit had valid reasons to ask you. We don't go out with you guys as a couple anymore. You post a lot of pictures with your girlfriends on Instagram. Like you don't post a lot with Mo anymore. And you guys just don't seem like you're vibing. And Kyle says, yeah, like I needed a little bit of freedom from everything is what she said. Um, What are your thoughts on... What are your overall thoughts on just just how we're seeing this play out so far? I mean, we're only two episodes in, but like, you're not not asking you to take a side or anything, (laughs) but (laughs) like, where, where do you see this? How do you see this all in your mind? I mean, Kyle's acting really weird. Yeah, right? And I guess it's like, I hear Dorit asking Kyle about this. And then later we hear... Mauricio's mom asking Kyle about Mm -hmm. it. And there's like something about that, like Kyle Richards has been on this show and in this world for over a decade. If there's something that she doesn't want to play out on camera, she could probably keep it from playing out on camera in regards to Dorit. But with Mauricio's mom later, that did seem like a little more out of control, a little more out of her hands. Things were at that party, things were happening on camera that she didn't want to be happening on camera. And so, like, I can be kind of gullible, but I'm just like, I'm just kind of taking it. Like what we're seeing is is sort of real because Kyle looks currently like she cannot stand to be in the same room oh, with she Mauricio. Looks so disgusted by him. She doesn't want him to touch her. Yeah. Like, and they've always been 
so like, loving uh, yeah. and like affectionate and friendly, you know, like there's, and it is so unfriendly. And then like when Dorit start and Dorit basically gives her an out, you know, she's like, if you ever don't want to talk about yes. something, you can just tell me. And I bought that as pretty genuine, not as like same. Dorit trying to like expose her for not wanting to talk about mm -hmm. something. I mean, Dorit did ask her on camera, but you know, they had just had a, a pretty good conversation yeah. about like struggles in their marriage. And then this time, I mean, she really is sort of acting like a rebellious teenager, which is like how they keep, she's described herself and Mauricio has described her as like rebelling. And it's kind of funny because before we even seen the season play out and we've heard that they were being separated and all that stuff and the Allison DeBeau clip of her saying that, you know, he no longer will emotionally fulfill you and all this stuff. Like it, it, it is starting to kind of seem like, and I think we all assume that they were growing apart and that she, and that she was going through some type of midlife crisis mm -hmm. because it doesn't necessarily seem like he's changed so much. Like we still see like he's, probably was still stoned at that party. Like, you know, like we still He was see definitely him. eating guacamole like he was stoned <laughs> at that party. <laughs> so, shoveling it from a deli container. I mean, so I, like we're seeing more shifts in her than I think we're seeing in him. And, may, and obviously like the show follows her more, but like it does feel like she has changed a, a lot. But Bye. then also there are these long-standing rumors about him having affairs. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, is she... Did she let something go that now she's resentful of? Or did he finally take it too far? Well, yeah. And that's something that I've been seeing on some Bravo accounts too, where it's like, yes, we've heard these rumors of him having affairs. Why now? Like, why now are you disgusted by him? Like, what has changed? Is Has there been another affair that has been so extraneous that it's just disgusting and it turned you off? Like, what's different now? Because it feels, feels like it's coming from nowhere. I think if someone has an affair, then they are the one and they get forgiven. Then they are the one who should be scared that things could turn at any point. And she might suddenly start getting a hundred tattoos and hanging out with young country singers. And now, you know, she forgave you. But now the, I think they should, I think he should live in fear. I think he should. Choose. One of the points that Devin actually brought up um, while we were having dinner, producer Devin. Yes. Shout out. <laughs> PD <laughs> um, was maybe Kyle is projecting a little bit and, you know, her feelings, things that she's going through and maybe it is the Morgan Wade rumored affair or something going on with her where she's more attracted to other people or whatever. Maybe she's projecting that onto Mauricio and like that's where her resentment comes from him of like it's not me. Like she's building these things up in her head and it is taking it out on on Mo. Like I just I, I don't like obviously we don't know the ins and outs of their marriage but I, it's, I'm finding it hard to empathize with her in these first two episodes. Oh, I didn't even know that I should be empathizing with her. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? I don't know. I really like Kyle. Like, you're a crystal apologist. Like, I love Kyle Richards. Well, like, that is that is what's interesting because Kyle has... Whether, whether you, like, like her or don't like her, 
she has always been the sort the straight man of Beverly Hills. Yeah. Like she is fairly rational or rational acting. And it's not that she's being irrational now, but there was a scene at the end when all of the women come together to go to Las Vegas. And I kept finding myself thinking that someone else needed to arrive because it's like with Kyle out to sea with her in like just in such a state we've never seen her in. It's like, we don't have an adult in the room. Like she's, I feel like always been the sort of like the anchor of Beverly Hills. And she is not an anchor right now. She is like floating in very dark clouds. She's a buoy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Nautical stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm more intrigued. I mean, we're two episodes in, but I am more intrigued about this fallout between Mo and Kyle. Um, and as mentioned, Kyle is taking Dorit to the surprise where PK wanted to do like a pretty woman inspired anniversary dinner for her. Um, I did love when she goes up to their suite and there's musicians playing a song from Top Gun and Not Pretty Woman and the producers wanted to make sure we knew that. Um, thought that was funny. Um, also, you know, we see a little bit of Dorit's PTSD, but also control freakism within like wanting to make sure kids were okay and stuff like that kind of and like there was a little bit of fourth wall break there. Like when yeah. she's talking to the producers, like that was genuine. That was surprising. That, yeah. Because there's something about Dorit that it always seems like she's putting something on, mm-hmm. you know? So like when she's having anxiety, she's always describing it out loud. And so it it's not that it doesn't feel real, but it doesn't feel maybe as intense as it actually is yeah. to her. Um, and so then all of a sudden there's like a producer in the scene and like the cameras are scurrying around on the balcony. It's like, oh, like something's really happening and they're aware of it. And th- I mean, she does have the cutest kids when they get on the phone and they say, mama, we're in on it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. No, it was really sweet. And I do think like the one thing about Dorit that I will never take away from her, she genuinely seems like a good mom and like I enjoy seeing her with her kids PK or PK Jagger and um the other one PK is her third child <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. he is absolutely slamming um, Lay's potato chips somewhere right now <laughs> I I'm really enjoying Dorit this season I and do too. I, I just, love Brunette Dorit Brunette Dorit I know there's like I, I mean I used to not be able to stand Dorit yeah, she, and like she has some tough years I don't understand where I have come with her. Maybe she's the anchor. She's not the anchor, okay. Chelsea. <laughs> she... She can't be. Is life best. <laughs> she's a boat? Wait, she's the water. She's the tide. Okay, the okay. moon? I don't know. I got excited. I don't know, but I did find myself thinking... I, I used to not be able to see Andrea. Now I'm kind of like, okay, Dorit's kind of fun. And, and I do think she's, like, smart. <laughs> PK, I still can't stand. I'll never be able to stand PK. But there is something about like seeing them at this anniversary dinner, even though it is like something he fully planned for himself. It's like <laughs> his own she fantasy. Did that he not want this. Up. She's literally like riddled with anxiety right now, and you're throwing her like a surprise thing. She hates it. She's having a bad time. But there was something that was like, whew, like sort of relieved. It seems like these two crazy kids are going to make it because. 
the, I don't write. The, it's just, <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It has to be because they are like, the, they are like the strongest relationship in Bravo. They did definitely. They did do a family. Uh, that's not saying a lot. They did do a family Halloween costume. So, I mean, that means things are strong, right? <laughs> it's got to. From what I understand about families, yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I really did. I enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. Her being freaked out by having to choose a red dress to wear um, and saying that she's a designer and a stylist and this just these aren't the options she would have selected she says for in front of her stylist <laughs> <laughs> I was like your stylist is here and presumably pulled these dresses and you're saying that you're a stylist yeah. I had two genuine laugh out loud scare my neighbor on the plane moments during this these scenes one was when they did the Chiron of <laughs> take my breath away is from Top Gun, not Pretty Woman. And the other was when she asked PK if he could describe her drink, like her famous oh, carcass out drink. Yeah. And he says, vodka tonic. And she says, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that, Doreen. Yeah. I, I, she is winning me over the season too. Um, we also, we, we end the episode with the ladies all headed to Vegas. Um, they had a vastly different experience going to Vegas than the three of us did. I'm <laughs> um, heading to Vegas this this weekend. Oh, no. Austin and I were on a private jet together. Oh, did you did also I forget to mention that? Picked up on a red phantom yeah, as well? Yes, oh, okay. well yes. Mine must have gotten lost. I got <laughs> picked up by a red Toyota hybrid <laughs> in the terrifying Uber lane of the Las Vegas airport. Um, so the ladies headed to Las Vegas for Crystal's 40th birthday. She is getting wiser Stupider with age. Stupider by the day. <laughs> um... We get on Kyle's private jet. They're having a good time. They, I, I don't know what resort they were at, but it looked fabulous. Sutton had already sent her assistant out to put her stuff in the closet. She gave Garcelle just like a little corner of the closet. Crystal got this great bedroom. It looks like a lot of fun. And we leave the episode on a to be continued as the ladies get ready to go to Magic Mike. And it looks like it gets a little risque as Ramona Singer would say, bringing Ramona back, risque. And uh, she also sudden storms off like Ramona did season one, Roni reunion when talking about topless photos uh, because it seems like sudden gets upset that Erica gets a little sexual on the Magic Mike stage. Just so weird. I feel like there's something we're not... I was watching that... I was watching that preview for the next episode really close and like Erica and Crystal are on stage. Yes. It, when it when it seems like Sutton's getting upset, but then but then Crystal is all of a sudden with is around and is being like, we gotta go. Sutton's upset. I just what could she be? I honestly the way that they're framing it is that Sutton was offended by that, the sexual antics that were going that on. Erica's on getting stage. fake eaten out in leather leggings <laughs> yes. on stage yes. at Magic Mike. And then we cut to Kyle saying, Are you jealous that that wasn't you? And so Kyle I is so hilarious. <laughs> when Sutton's mad, no one makes her more mad than Kyle. Because Kyle's always like, Is this is what you're upset about, right? And she's always so wrong. And she's always like, 
punching sun. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know. I'm very, it, and it looks like Erica's the most pissed off by it out of all the women. So it feels like it has to do with Erica. Oh, no. I thought Erica seemed kind of chill. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we only saw her. Well, she says, she says Sutton's being judgy. Yeah. But she seemed kind of chill because it seems like she doesn't know what's going on. Well, she did say she was giving up fighting for Lent. So, like, I she, do right. think because <laughs> she's not going to fight. Or I think that she can't have meat on Fridays. I'm not sure <laughs> of all of the dynamics, but it goes, and I mean, we'll see this next weekend, but I keep beating this drum with Rachel. I'm morally corrupt that like women calling each other bitches is back. And that's what in the, in the end of the, or in the preview for the next episode, they're like, you're being a bitch. No, you're being a bitch. It's just like so childish. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's get to holier grounds in Salt Lake City and our good old Mormon mission that we're about to embark on. I think you mean Mish. Mish. Good old Mormish. Premish. Uh, Premish discussions. Um, yeah, I mean, this whole episode kind of centered around the Mish and Monica's argument with her mother. That was a good 20-minute scene, it felt like. And I was on the edge of my Delta seat <laughs> for every second. I feel very vindicated by this Monica mom thing. Because I said from the beginning, I'm interested. Consider me seated. And I know probably not everyone is. But where else do you get to see these kinds of terrible, toxic family dynamics on television? I guess, actually, a lot of places. But... They, they don't always come to roost on Housewives. Housewives has a sort of like long but only dappled history with mothers. Yeah. And there are like some franchises that have one terrible mother in the mix. Mm -hmm. And it took till season four, but now Salt Lake City is one. We got there. We got there, baby. And we are coming in hot because Monica and her mom, I'm I, like you, I am invested. Um, we we start kind of with Heather and Monica going uh, snowmobiling. And on this snowmobile excursion, uh, Monica explains to Heather that her and her mom have had this sordid relationship and that this incident at Greek Easter, which I'm just going to call it Easter because it just seemed like regular Easter. I don't I don't understand why. My Greek friend calls it Greaster, if that's helpful to you. Okay, well, <laughs> Greaster. <laughs> at Greaster, um, that wasn't the first time Monica and her mom had lashed out at one another. And so Monica explains this to, to Heather and says, I think it stems from the abandonment issues that I have with my mother because when I was 12... She dropped me off at a friend's house so that she could go pursue her dreams in New York City. And Heather is gobsmacked by this news. And I was too. However, I don't, I like Monica, but I don't fully trust Monica. So when she said this, I was like, there has to be more to the story. And then when she confronted her mom about it, I realized. She was right. Because you know who I really don't trust? Monica's mom. Yeah. So it seems like a pretty accurate portrayal that she she let us in on. And I mean, like, no matter what, it's the memory of a child, you yes. know? And so, like, 
it may not be exactly accurate. Like maybe her mom really took like a lot of precautions and really thought this through in a way that at in childhood to Monica felt very frivolous. Like she yeah. was just leaving her and maybe Monica's mom didn't feel like that. But it kind of doesn't matter. It's like... Yeah, she's a child. She's a child and she has no power or control over her own life or her own world. And her father has already left her. And now she's getting dropped off to start at a new school. I'm dying to know what Monica's mom's dreams were that she was pursuing in New York City. Yeah, curious. Showgirl? A, dan- a dancer at like, what, I mean, you know, what Ballerina? would she have been in her late 30s or early 40s then? Theater? I, could have been, could have been brought, but then she was, like, she was like, it was for a job. I mean, I don't know. Are we going to talk about this dinner now or whatever? Let's get into it. So, so yes, we also learned that before we get to the dinner that um, Monica's mom also has taken away her car from her. So she doesn't, yes. This was so much crazier to me. Like, <laughs> than being dropped off at 12 by. <laughs> yes. Listen, <laughs> I can't relate to that, but I can relate to having my car taken away from me, I guess, like right now as an adult. And I don't have four children to drive around. I love that this episode is just like Heather taking people on sports dates, like snow sports dates, and then Monica like unloading trauma. Um, So she tells a group of gals that uh, her mom, she pays for the car. They're like, Monica, why do you have this new car? Did you get a new car? And she's like, this is a rental because... I I do the payments on my car. I pay for my car, but it's in my mom's name, which is curious. Um, it's in her mom's name. So whenever her mom gets mad at her, she takes away the car. Yes. And like you and like me, Meredith doesn't totally trust Monica. So she's like, what does that mean? How could she take your car? Like, it's your car. You have the keys. What does that mean? She doesn't say all those words, but that's what she's asking. And Monica says... And this, I trust her on this because it's so specific. Monica says that her mom texted her and said, if you don't give me the keys by 4 p.m., I'm going to call the police and say you stole the car. That's wild. Insane. And I absolutely buy it. And it's awful. Those are her grandchildren. Yeah, to your point, because it's so specific. And second, yes, you could punish Monica all you want but like by t- and Monica says this at the dinner like by you doing that you only hurt my kids how are they going to school how are they going to school how are they getting picked up how are they getting dropped off how are they doing their extracurriculars how can I get them to a doctor's appointment or an emergency if something happens like how can any of this happen if you're going to take away my car because you're so petty about Greek Easter Greaster and what happened like it's insane and so yes so the whole episode is a whole culmination to them meeting for the strangest, most awkward dinner at a Mexican restaurant in Salt Lake City. And Monica first comes to the table and immediately... A Mexican restaurant in Salt Lake City is like already bad. Yes, I would never never get Mexican food in Salt Lake City. That would just not be my first choice. And then her mom orders lobster enchiladas. Again, something I wouldn't do. Do not get the seafood. And confuses the guacamole for a dessert. A dessert. Cute. Um, but before Monica can even sit down, like on cue, her mom just starts weeping, dry weeping. And Monica's just sitting there like unamused. The waiter brings waters. Monica asks for a straw. She just like, you could tell like this argument has played out between them so many times at this point that she's not even willing to engage or entertain her mother anymore. 
I'm sure that Monica is not perfect. I'm sure within three weeks' time, I won't be able to stand her. <laughs> but there are so many clockable moments at this dinner or lunch, whatever it was. I don't know. Monica only orders guacamole. <laughs> but like there are... And it's it's clockable from the moment that Monica arrives. Like you said, like her mom just immediately starts seemingly weeping, but like her face is not very wet. And no. it's like to evoke sympathy, to make it about her. And then she transitions from sobbing to telling this story about how she watched, a, she says, it's so, it's so weird. She says, I watched a movie about an old woman in Croatia. And Monica is like, what? What movie do you think that was? <laughs> I have no idea. We gotta, <laughs> can we give this Google. to the big picture pod? Like, can we give yeah, an assignment let's, to let's, another let's Ringer podcast? Let's, Sean, get, let's get Sean let's on get the case. Sean on the horn. <laughs> see if we can get a little Las Vegas call in to see what movie about an old woman in Croatia that Monica's mom watched, who she says, so I guess the woman is old. She says, I watched a movie about an old woman in Croatia. She has issues with her mom. So the woman's already old. Yeah. The mom must be really old. And she says, the mom died and they hadn't resolved their issues. And I don't want that to happen to us. It's so manipulative. Like it, it's first of all, made up. It's not a real movie. Oh, you don't think the movie's Sean real? Sean texted me, it's not real. <laughs> okay, that was quick. It was quick. He was very fast. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> it is not. It's like she just, it's, whether it's real, it seems like she's making something up, but yeah. it's just to be like, the impetus is on you. Do you want me to die yeah. while you're still plaguing me with your issues and your abandonment trauma that you won't just forget about? Like, it's just... And it's like from the moment Monica sits down, it's so manipulative. It's very manipulative. And then it she she breaks in character every so often when she asks for a fucking Advil or excuse me my language, a, some medicine. And it's just she she I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand her. In this. She's doing. She's doing. She's sobbing. Monica gets there. She's sobbing. Monica has said and done nothing, and then she says that just gave me a headache. Yeah, <laughs> she has so many different personality traits within this dinner. It, I I felt for like you said, Monica's not perfect, and I am sure by the end of the season, I will have very complicated feelings about Monica in some way or another. But at this time, I I I felt really bad for her. Like this yeah. is awful to like have this experience with your mother and also hear a little bit more backstory about Monica's her mom's experience with her mother and like how this seems to be like a generational type trauma mm -hmm. thing within the women in her family and we've and, met that woman too yes and she was a little sour <laughs> um and so you know and I worry like Monica has four girls and like how hopefully she doesn't pass that issue on and she got pregnant young with her first daughter as well so like hoping that she doesn't pass that issue on with her daughter but yes this doesn't get resolved whatsoever um her mother calls her a motherfucker um they keep going back and forth uh i will not talk to you like some weak ass bitch and then she orders the lobster enchiladas <laughs> the now infamous lobster enchiladas <laughs> i will be tracking that down on the vegas strip another place you definitely want to get lobster enchiladas she's just like the way she's like 
moving her head around and blinking her eyes. It's she wants to be respected as a mother. Mm -hmm. And she says that I'm still your mother, but she doesn't treat Monica like her child. She doesn't know how to be a mother. She's just like, she, she vacillates between belittling her and then like, and then treating her like you would treat a peer that you're being very mean to. It's pretty uncomfortable and also fascinating to watch. She says, and then every time that Monica sort of points out something really valid about like, this is why I feel like this, this is why I feel abandoned. And this is why at Greaster, I felt triggered by you standing up for everyone except for me, you apologizing on my behalf to strangers, you weren't there for me. And this is why that's especially hard for me. Every time she does that, her mom just like gets really dramatic and is like, you have to get over this. She says, when do I get to be forgiven? And it's like, um, I don't know when you apologize, I guess. Yeah, that was unlikely. Oh, Monica says something really. She's like, um, well, you, she says, well, you just told me that you don't really care about this. So not today. Yes, (laughs) it was, it, that was honestly like the, that it was just, it was very hard to watch. It was very, it was very chaotic. It, it was, also and entertaining. It was in public. Yeah, it was very much in public. A lot of uh, glaring eyes from teenage boys at other tables. Um, yeah, no, that part was wild to me. It's, and and that's when I realized that Monica was not flibbing or whatever, lying about her childhood with her mother was when she point blank said these things and her mom's like, and? She so? says, she's, she's like... Well, you dropped me off in Pennsylvania. You were, I have to like sit in the back seat while you go on dates. And her and mom's like, that was one time. One time. Well, you make out with a guy. That was one time. One time too many, ma'am. Yeah, like, one, one time too many. One <laughs> seems like enough to make an impact on a kid. Yes. Like, it was insane. Um, So, it, I, I don't, I honestly don't know where they go from here. Monica's mom suggests therapy. We'll see if they get it. It seems like they're still in a kind of shitty place at the moment. Well, and it's like in general, yeah, like therapy. Yes, go to therapy. Support that. But Monica kind of rolls her eyes because it's like, can you imagine that woman in therapy? Yeah. No, no. I, I can't imagine neither one of them in therapy, to be honest with you. But um, this was one bad dinner that overshadowed another bad dinner, which was Whitney and Mary. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, <laughs> who... It was weird too. It was very strange. Um, Whitney and and Whitney invites Mary out to dinner to apologize and to kind of like get on the same page and see where things are going. Um, Mary comes to dinner, and what did she say to her? Like balls in your court. She's like, you called this. You it's called like, the shot. Shoot you your called shot. the shot. Shoot <laughs> your, it's like a bunch of mixed analogies. I was. Oh my gosh, this was so weird like you know sometimes i watch these episodes on like 1.5 speed oh i could not do that on the plane <laughs> uh it was like crazy making but i was like am i watching this on fast speed cuz it was going so fast yeah. like m- like mary's ass had barely hit the seat before she was up and also the episode like opens with mary in her closet on a facetime with whitney whitney inviting her to this dinner and she's like she's like if I don't feel like coming on the day, I'm not coming. <laughs> well, so like that was the thing though, is that Mary 
had had already decided she's not going to stay for this dinner. Like she, I think she just wanted to put an outfit on, get out of the closet and and make an entrance and then make an exit. Like she had no intentions. She did look good. She did. She looked nice in that snowstorm. I don't think she had any intentions of making nice with Whitney, trying to understand Whitney's point of view or anything like that. It was just, she wanted to get her food to go. I was just, was oh my it. gosh. The way, okay, this is, it's like once, once is once, twice is a pattern, three times is Mary being fucking nuts. When she, I was like, she's just, at this point, she's treating being a friend of like it's DoorDash. Like she <laughs> is just arriving asking for food to go, making the wait staff of like very mid-level restaurants box it up. Like this is not fine dining. This is provisions. And like making the wait staff box it up and then skedaddling. Yeah. You know what? I, and I know there's been conversations online. I think you guys have talked about in the pod about like our feelings about Mary. I know she's controversial, but I like... I love it. I relate. Like I, what, what what was it? It was um, oh, it was the scene where she a couple weeks ago where she told Heather, "I don't like your outfit." Okay, that was funny. That I was like- funny, and I sent that to my cousins, and I said that this is our great grandmother. Like every Thanksgiving and Christmas, yeah, she would call us over and be like, "What are you wearing?" And why are you wearing? And I'm like, it? oh, my mom made this dress for me. It's ugly. <laughs> And like she and she would also tell us like why are you eating so like granted that's not okay for a young girl to hear but like looking back on it and like seeing Mary talk to Monica and be like why are you eating that it's not good for young women I was like my great grandmother reincarnated as Mary Cosby I don't know I really enjoy watching I her. mean Mary, maybe when you marry your grandfather you get older a lot faster <laughs> but like she's not a grandmother her son is twenty and married well, under I mean, her yeah, nose she might not know she might, a be, a <laughs> she might be a grandmother she might be a grandmother <laughs> who knows I enjoy like I enjoy the messiness of her I enjoy what she lets us have of her I enjoy the takeout DoorDash version of this friend of portion of housewives. I I think she is fascinating and she's like a puzzle that you can't you can't like figure out. You can't figure it out cuz it's not there. She never stays still long enough to put the pieces together. It's so crazy and like I go back and forth. Sometimes I do think she's really funny and sometimes I'm like you're a very bad person yes. who like I should not have any. And that's the thing I felt about this lunch was Whitney is I was like Whitney stand up. This is like the one good thing you've ever done is like be like no, Mary is actually praying on her congregation, which is totally true. Yeah. And now you're going to back down from it. She was like, when she's explaining in her confessional that they're getting this dinner, she's like, I know it seems random that I'm asking Mary to dinner. It's like, no, it doesn't seem random. You have appointed yourself and a producer on the show. Yeah, she's doing the housewife thing to do of like, Keep it kosher. Have a resolution to move on so that we could like keep story going. Like that's what she was trying to do. And Mary, Mary doesn't know housewife world. Mary knows. And so it makes Whitney look stupid again. Like when is Whitney gonna learn? She's just gotta pull a Meredith and be like, nope, I won't be friends with you again. Figure it out, bravo. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought this dinner was fascinating. It was it would have been the standout dinner of the episode had it not been for Monica and her mother. So had generational trauma not (laughs) been taking place. Place on our screen. <laughs> yes. And then we get the pre-mish mission party, <laughs> reveal party, gender reveal party. Um they they uh we see little Jack um 
gets to gets to get all of his friends together and celebrate where he's going for his mission. Lisa seems to be supportive, but also hated at the same time. And he goes to Bogota, Colombia. That's where he is assigned to go for two... Is it two years? I think so. Two years, Bogota, Colombia. And we hear a strange anecdote about Lisa's friend's son getting held up at gunpoint a couple of times. So that, that was Jack's... Where Jack's going. The way that this really was, like, it's like, Lisa says, you know, these these mission parties are like a gender reveal. I I don't believe that that is true. I believe that Lisa made that true. (laughs) But it really is like a gender reveal. I was impressed with Jack's little speech. He's really grown up right before our eyes. It was also interesting hearing about John Barlow, Lisa's husband's, mission, I believe from what I understood, right here in Las Vegas, I think is where he was assigned. That's where he said he ultimately met Lisa because her sister was a missionary. Yes. Um, And so I, I feel like it gives a little more credence to like, maybe they don't need input from Heather. Like Heather can have her feelings about it, but it's like, yeah, Lisa doesn't know what a mission is like, but I guess John, I guess John does. John does. And that, yeah, like I I just felt I I still feel like Heather being offended by this in any way is just like her overstepping her boundaries and something like you're not that close to Lisa. This is a parenting issue. This is a family issue or family. I don't call it. Issue, I think like, like being offended about it is fine because it's a very problematic thing, <laughs> but saying something about it yeah. Is not fine. I don't know. I still think like it's none of your business. Like I don't know. Like it's his. It's his life. It's not your life. It's their family's life. Like it. It. It doesn't. It doesn't affect you. So like you taking on this burden that like you're losing sleep over it because Jack's going on a mission. Like I don't know. Like this. Like and also how involved. Like I just feel like if she was maybe more involved. If she was. Meredith pre-hot mic moment to Lisa, like, I would understand her being, like, feeling like she needs to say something and, like, why aren't you consulting me or talking to me about this? But, like, they were never friendly. So, like, I just find it strange that she is, like, taken on such, like, a heavy, like, strong burden about this. I think her being burdened by the mere idea of teenagers evangelizing in other countries is fair, given, like, what she understands about the church. Um, But, like, making it really personal to Lisa, who is um, probably, like, her number two enemy in the world, is maybe not... Yeah, and I think it's just a sticky situation when it's someone's kid. Like, a friend's kid. But Jack's going to Columbia. I'm happy. It seems like he'll get some culture and <laughs> taking those I saw a lot I saw a lot of young people with name tags on in the Las Vegas airport today and oh. <laughs> I just assume that there was it maybe it was in the Atlanta airport um they're out there I was looking for frosted tips but I didn't see Jack <laughs> don't understand what did Lisa say don't understand that don't understand don't that. get it um okay so that's that's Salt Lake and part two of the Roni reunion what were your thoughts? Like overall general thoughts of part two of the Roni reunion? I was most fascinated by Andy during the reunion because he was doing a lot. Of, well, they 
Sai mentions a number of times that it feels like therapy, yeah. um, which she thinks because I guess she hasn't been to therapy, which is information. Um, but it was very emotional and it was very like, and do you think that like the questions that Andy was asking them were very emotionally centered in a way that I just can't imagine with like OG Roni or Orange County. And then also there was a point where he sort of like gave them advice. He was like, the hardest part about all of this is reliving it. And it makes you feel all the emotions again. And he was like, and you guys are going to have to relive it all over again when you watch it or or when the reaction to this comes out, like when the reaction to the reunion yeah. comes out, he's like, and the best thing you can do is just call it right now. Like, be yeah. Over. And it was just like weird to hear him like giving, it was meta. It was sort of meta. Yeah, he did kind of like step away from the moderator ho- host role and like, not, I don't want to say like friend role, but he just turned into like a mentor, mentorish role. Yeah, it was a little bit strange in the way in which you put it too. It's like we would never see that on Atlanta or on OC or any of these, like, or even Salt Lake. That's a more recent franchise, right? And too. like, I think I was making me think, like, I just think that you know, those those franchises, those older franchises wouldn't be open to it. Mm -hmm. It's just not how the communication works. And I was like, well, this is a younger franchise. They have mostly all been to therapy. Is this new Housewives? Like, is this what everyone is worried about? Housewives is crumbling. Housewives is changing. And then like, I watched Salt Lake City next and I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) It's maybe growing and evolving. But I mean, and I did find it interesting. Like I found the conversations and the different sort of tilt that this like Roni has of like, that they genuinely do seem to care about each other and love each other and be friends. Interesting. I can tell by your face from when I originally said it is that was not what you were expecting my takeaway to be from episode two. No, it wasn't. (laughs) I think... I thought, like, I thought it was nice to watch. It wasn't, like, nothing... I still felt... And maybe it's because the drama this season was so, like, low stakes. Um, and these friendships are new. It didn't feel too, like, crazy. I did find it strange that Aaron and Sai just couldn't fathom that they did, in fact, imply that Pavit was going to Vietnam to cheat on his wife. Um, it... And I did actually really like in the first part and in the second part that Jessel stood up for herself. I thought in a way that we hadn't seen her do so in the season. Um, and Uba, like I just, you know, I understand. And I think this is where the whole Andy thing coming in and like rationalizing their emotions and stuff. Uba was so hot. And even what what did... Jenna say in her confessional about like a different side to her like it's also just like the I guess a language barrier and just a communication barrier too with like we saw with the emoji like Aaron thought like her doing the thinking face emoji was like enough to say that she had her phone. Okay well Aaron's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) But like I I I understood like yeah like okay you're being a smart ass and then like the same thing with with Jenna saying like I saw a different side to Uba Uba took that as you're calling me a liar, a two-faced or whatever. And it's like, no, I just, 
saw you turned up a bit. Like, and so like, Uba, Uba gets so mad about this, like Jenna saying that she saw this side of Uba. She'd never seen this side of Uba before. And she's like, I don't have sides. I am Uba. Like, I don't, I don't have sides. Every part of me is real. This is me. And then at the end, she's like, when the, a reader or a, a tweeter asks a very thoughtful question, which was, what did you see in the mirror when you watched this <laughs> yeah. season back? I was like, whoa. Uh, you mean a producer. <laughs> Can I borrow that one? Um, and Uba's like, I guess I should warn people when I'm going to be Uba hot. I was like, I'm sorry, Jenna can't say that, that you have a side to you, but you are saying that you are like two different personalities. You're yeah. Uba and Uba hot. Yeah. And great branding for sure. It, but. It, but, and that's what I mean, though. It's like she has... I don't know if it's like a cultural thing or just a language thing or whatever, but she interprets these like more westernized, Americanized ways of talking as like negative. And it was, I found that to be, and she really like takes it. And she doesn't listen to people when she gets to that hot point. Like she does not like hear anybody. She also very straightforwardly in the last episode called Jenna fake. Yes. Yes. And has been calling everyone fake. And that and that's another like, <clears throat> you know, hopefully we get to speak to her this week at BravoCon or weekend. But like she she really did have it out for Jenna. And and maybe it was because of this other side comment or whatever, but like it really just didn't seem like that warranted to me for her to like be gunning for her. And even in your interview with Aaron, like I didn't really understand. Like it didn't seem like Aaron really knew where it came from either. Well, she was also gunning for Aaron. Like it was, I don't know. I mean, oh my, I was about to say we saw a different side of Uba, but I, I <laughs> don't shudder. Do I don't put me in front of her if I say it. <laughs> um, because um, we saw this different side of Uba where like she would she'd get so mad at someone and she we opened this reunion with her calling Aaron Karen and saying like everybody better shut the fuck up when I start yelling at Aaron because I am like like I need full total attention to be able to get mad at Aaron. But then like there's a moment when some when it's sort of suggested that Aaron is really sensitive and is she only sensitive about herself and then and then Uba's like oh no she's very considerate she's very considerate yeah, it was so weird <laughs> i could not keep up because she'd get <laughs> so, so mad at people she'd call them fake she'd say, she say the they were gaslighting <laughs> and then she'd be like and i love this woman more than any woman I've ever loved, and that's why I'm so upset. It was very strange. Like it was, it was very strange. Um, yeah. So like there that ping pong like emotional roller coaster that we went on with Uba throughout this part. I mean, part one and part two. Um, but also in part two, we got a lot more tears. Um, which Devin has noted was too many tears. And did Aaron say on the podcast last week like this was the most clean act? Like Andy said this was the most crying he's seen at a reunion. Well, she said that. And then he said in this, in this episode that it was yes. the most Kleenex okay. he'd ever been through. You know, the crying, it didn't really strike me. Well, you're a crier. I'm a crier. But, but okay, that's why it probably didn't strike me is because I didn't cry watching it. Okay. So like, what's up? I did get a little... What's the disconnect? I did get a little misty-eyed when Sai was Cy talking about her, her mother. Mom. Yeah, that, that got me a little misty-eyed. Um, Bren talking about her dad was also sad. Bren um, is a crier. 
And Brenna's a cry. I relate to that. Yes. So, you know, we got a little bit more backstory. We also got some clarity as to the Aaron, Cy versus Jessel about her upbringing type thing. Um, which, wait, did we really get clarity? I was going to say, I, I still feel quite unclear. Like, yes. It sounds like Jessel was, like, honestly, I feel like Jessel grew up how I grew up. Like, I had, I had money. Like, I was, I, I didn't have money. My, my parents barely had money. But, I live comfortably. Like, I was able to go to college. I was able to have an internship. I was able to work a part-time job. I was able... I had a car. Mm-hmm. They get, they paid for insurance. Sometimes I paid for gas. Sometimes my grandpa helped me out with gas. Like, that's how Jessel sounds like. She, I grew up, I wouldn't say privileged, but in certain aspects, I had privilege. Like, having an internship, an unpaid internship, that is privilege. I had an unpaid internship in college. And I yeah. worked a job. Like I, and I like I I wish that Jessel would point out or that we had somehow pointed out that Jessel started explaining the way she grew up to these women because Aaron they called her a princess. Yes. Like they said that she was used to being catered to and that is not something that she identifies with. And was like, maybe it's because I had this British accent, but I didn't grow up like posh. I grew up, I mean... I still had to work for things. Yeah. Like, I ha- I was given opportunities, but I still had to work to keep said opportunities. Jessel doesn't explain herself well. No. <laughs> like, we can... She is in PR, but maybe communication isn't that kind of communication. Well, is- it's it's the pivoting communication that she's she's really good at. Is she could just like pivot and like run circles around you yeah. so that you forget what she was saying to begin with. But Sai and Aaron will not forget, but they also won't listen well enough to like really <laughs> to, clock to, to it. And when Sai was like, Jessel was like, you are so invested like in Pavit's trip to Vietnam, like into her marriage. And and Sai's like, yeah, I was invested. I found it fascinating. And all I can hear running through my head is Sai saying, I don't care, Jessel. I just, I don't care. Yeah. And she does. So, like, does that make her a liar? The thing yeah. that these women accuse each other of, you got to look in that mirror. Got to look, look in that gotta mirror. Got to look in that producer and mirror. I will say, like, I, it does give me hope for a season, not season two, but another season of this fresh reboot and seeing where these women go from here. Season 15. Oh, my God. Season 15 next season. It's crazy. Um it does give me hope to see like we've laid some foundation. We have some stuff. I would like to go into size marriage. I'm curious about that. I'm that made me nervous. That immediately <laughs> made me nervous. Cause just tell. like just thinking about Sai being like and I'm really mad. And I like her husband, but I like I'm, her husband I'm, too. I'm curious about the origins of their oh relationship. My God. That just makes me think of because you know, Rachel and I are Rachel and I are, were original big fans of David and like probably still are. But when they're like trying to say, and Aaron said this in the interview too, that they didn't know that Jessel was like struggling with postpartum. It's like postpartum literally means that you've just had a baby. Like, she didn't necessarily say she had post... It's like, they knew that she was a new mother and that things were difficult with the birth. They knew enough. So, like, I feel conflicted about this because I have a few new mom friends. Uh Uh-huh. And 
I get different versions of motherhood to them from them. Sure. And so, and I and I kind of felt this way about Jenna, where everyone was like, oh, Jenna's being so vulnerable and so open and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, she was being vulnerable and open in her confessionals, but we didn't ultimately see her doing that in front of the women. And so I feel like Jessel also was being very vulnerable and open about her postpartum and not feeling sick and all this stuff and her confessional and, and the um IVF journey and all that stuff and her confessionals, but not necessarily to the women. So it's hard for like, we empathize for her and we feel a certain way about her and we feel defensive for her because we know these things, but she's not saying these things to them. And I could understand maybe why she wouldn't say these things to them because she doesn't feel like it'd be protected or received or whatever. And she just wants to like be light and fun and airy. But then I could understand why they take what she says as something like, oh, you're just not fucking your husband. Like, let's get like, and takes as something light or like, what's wrong with you or whatever. Like, I don't know. I I see it. I could understand their perspective in that way because we get to see them, all sides of them on the television. Screen. Totally. Their perspective is no fair we look like total bitches when we were just regular amounts of bitches (laughs) because she did tell them stuff. I know what you're saying. And and it's same for Jenna. And I do think that it is like a similar scenario where it's like, yeah, well, why would they tell them that stuff? Like it is not, you know, you never, they never, I could see the way they would never feel comfortable saying it. Good like receival, but the editors roll the clips. Like she told them enough for them to know that. And even if she was just not having if they were just not having sex for any reason, they were still being really rude about it. It's vulnerable to tell someone that you're not having sex with your husband in general, I think. Yeah, I I still kind of felt when they rolled the tapes, it was like... It was lighter stuff than we've heard for sure. They're not on the same page. But then Chelsea, she says to them a perfect line, which is like, size, like, if you had told us that stuff, if you had come to us and told us that you were feeling self-conscious, which she did tell them that she was feeling self-conscious, if you had just told us this stuff, then we would not have also said all that stuff. And she said, I didn't know how much shit you were talking about me behind my back. Yeah, well, but... As they didn't know how much she was actually going through behind closed doors. So, like, I I think that, you know, is a fair assessment that could go both ways. I don't know. Maybe, like I said, like, it could lay a groundwork for a more open and trusting relationship between the three of them. Yeah, No, you're probably right. That's probably what's going to (laughs) happen. That's probably laying... That's probably the groundwork that's being laid for sure. Uh, Fingers crossed. (laughs) Jess will bring up David. Oh my gosh. I'm scared again. I'm immediately Um, scared. But, uh, yeah. So, Roni is over. Um, They haven't announced if another season has been picked up, but I I would be surprised if they they don't bring this cast back at least. You want everybody back? Um... Yeah, I do. I think I want everyone back and they could add somebody. Yeah. Um, somebody that has like a good anchor, close relationship to one of the women. I think we need like someone with a good bond um, because this group is so fresh. Like having someone with a little bit of history would be would be nice. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, I don't think we're getting Jenna back. I know. I Like I kind of, I don't know. I, I want her to be back. I want her too. She is a, that is a different vibe. You I know? mean, Uba did maybe scare her off. 
I and uh, listen, I got a little bit of what Uba was saying in this part two of the reunion, where Jenna was just like straight up whispering and being like, "I'm sorry, I'm just a baby." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I still like it. I mean, it's just such a curveball. She's so different. Than, yeah than what we're used to. And really, a lot of them are. So I find that interesting. And I think for like a freshman season, it was very successful. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved the fashion. I loved the aesthetic. I thought it represented New York City in a way that made me like it and want to visit more. Not live, but visit. Um, So yes, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, And you guys, we also have a little bit of Miami recap to give you. We'll go deeper into Miami next week. But season six, episode one premiered Wednesday uh, after Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And it was a fun, interesting episode. I will say some of my main takeaways was... I felt very uncomfortable with how much I liked Larsa Pippen and Marcus Jordan together on camera. I have been anti this relationship for a very, very long time since it started. And I thought he was very charming and very sweet. And she was more likable whenever he she was with him. So did you see any of them? Are you just well, surprised as, to hear me say this? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, as you know, but the listener does not, my plain Wi-Fi gave out before I could watch all of Miami. So I watched like the first 10 minutes. And it was like, I didn't even sort of realize who he was because, you know, because they just like, they did have like a charming, what felt like appropriate dynamic. Yes. And then like in her testimonial, she was like, uh, I it's I had just forgotten. Oh, you didn't realize the backstory? No, I know the back. I, I just forgot, you okay. know, like it just felt fine and normal. And then I was like, oh my gosh. It's still weird to me when I think about it with my sports lens, but watching it play out on television, I'm like, oh wow, they actually are cute together. And she seems happy and he seems happy. And yeah. he seems like really cool. So yeah, he does. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, Lenny is still a monster. So <laughs> there's that. Nothing's changed. Lisa is dating a new man named Jody, who is some tech guy. Who, You're just going to cruise right past that we have the same name. The just gonna male version right of our Jody. <laughs> That's right. Same personality. Another tech genius. You know, he doesn't have your like glowing, glowing charm. Mm. He's a little, he's a little techie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just the grease from the Delta Seeds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the glow. Um, and another thing that we get is, you know, Gertie. As we know, in current times, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and as the season started, she was feeling she got some. Um, kind of scary call from her um, OBGYN and she had to do more testing and it's revealed to us as the viewers that she does have breast cancer and at this new horizon party she gets overwhelmed by like the petty fighting that's happening and she leaves a little bit earlier and she doesn't say to the women what's going on with her, but we as viewers know that she's just overwhelmed with the news that she had gotten and b- with being diagnosed with breast cancer and how stupid it is that they're fighting over, you know, drinks and letters to your liver and stuff like that. So um, it seems like it's going to be a really interesting season and it's going to be a fun... It does seem like it'll be a fun season. It seems like we'll have some conflict, but... 
yeah, I'm looking forward to Miami. We'll definitely deep dive it a little bit more next week. And we'll have a lot more like regular programming. We'll also probably break up Morally Corrupt as well, guys. So we'll... It's going to be five shows on Bravo that we're going to be recapping. So we'll do Potomac and um, Southern Charm on maybe our Tuesday episode. And then Friday, we'll keep it with Miami, Beverly Hills, and Salt Lake City. But stay tuned. Some things might change. But also stay tuned throughout the weekend because we will be here all weekend BravoCon, breaking everything down. Check out Ringer Reality um, Instagram. Follow us there to see everything going on. Follow if you us- have questions or things you want to know about BravoCon, let us know. Yes. We got boots on the ground. Yes, we do have boots on the ground. Follow Jody Walker. Follow myself, Chelsea Stark-Jones. Follow Rachel Lindsay. She'll be on the pod tomorrow too. And she'll she's also moderating three panels, you guys. We are so excited. Three panels. Real Housewives of Potomac, Day One Divas, and Ask Andy. Our girl Rachel is sitting down with Andy Cohen. Yes. She's Ask asking Andy. Andy. Yes. She's Andy and Andy? Andy and Rachel, one-on-one. We're so excited. So, Morley Corrupt is here with a big presence at BravoCon. Um, we are so excited to bring everything back to you guys. So, yeah, I'm Chelsea. This is Jody. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to be confused with male Jody on Real Housewives of Miami. And we'll see you back here. Yeah. Goodbye. T-Y-L. Bye.